1: All right, we're back to Hertel. Okay, let's talk gas prices a little bit. What's really going on? The White House is saying one thing. The gas companies are saying one thing. Social media is saying one thing. Let's turn down the noise on it. Let's turn to another of our great Young Voices contributors, uh, Jeff Luce. How are you, sir? Thank you for coming and spending a little time with us.
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, anytime, buddy. Okay, uh, the Biden administration, you were writing a national review about this, but let, let's start big picture with what the Biden administration's done last week. I openly tweeted about it. I think they need to just fire their whole comm shop because there's been really bad on this. Um, The president, uh, I guess about two weeks ago now, wrote an open letter. I don't know how else to say it to the oil executives. Um, They are now uh, continuing the narrative about gas prices and, quote unquote, asking gas stations to lower their prices, which is not good. We had uh, the White House press secretary at the podium this past week. Getting kind of tangled up on the same messaging. Turn the noise down for us, though. We know that gas is a lagging indicator. Uh, meaning what you're seeing at the pump is something that happened six months ago, 18 months ago, two years ago. Turn down the noise for us. Where is this gas price increase really coming from?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good question. Um so it's it's really we're still recovering from the impacts of COVID-19. Um, so you know, around March or April, 2020 gas, a barrel of gas um, or a barrel of oil, I should say, was literally trading for a negative value. Um, So that sent a market signal to a lot of producers that they didn't need to produce because it wasn't in their best interest to do so, Um, which of course rippled and sent another signal to refiners um, that they wouldn't need to refine any oil. And also with that What happened was a lot of refineries also closed. So we're still feeling uh, delays with supply and demand because once economies started opening up um, after restrictions lifted, you know, you started to see demand for oil and gas spike, but unfortunately, supply wasn't able to keep up. So we're still seeing those impacts.
1: Now, to be fair to President Biden, we've we've said that this is one of our principles on this program. Uh, When it comes to the economy, the president gets too much blame and too much credit. When it comes to gas prices, that goes double. Uh, They get too much blame and too much credit. Break down the ratio, though. We understand the war in Ukraine raised gas prices. We also understand gas prices were already high before that happened. We've also we got it on video, which I don't know why people pretend this don't happen. President Biden ran on an anti-fossil fuel pledges. That means the markets react when he wins the presidency as opposed to somewhere else because they're planning two or three years ahead. Break the ratio down for me. How much of it is the Biden administration's fault? How much is not? How much of it is it's not helping, but it's not really hurting either. Just kind of lay out that ratio for us a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point. Um, you'll, you'll drive through America and it's easy to see those signs of like, you know, it's a sticker of Biden pointing at the gas price and he's say, saying it, you know, I did that, um, which is ultimately unfair. It's hard to maybe put down an exact ratio. Maybe it's two to one or three to one. Um, it's mostly to do with the global impact and global markets. Um, but he certainly has some culpability with it. Uh, like you said, he ran on an anti-fossil fuel agenda. There's even a video of him uh, speaking to people in Delaware, and he, he promised that he'd um, move us on from American fossil fuels. So that obviously sends a signal to producers um, that, their, that their product isn't wanted, A. Um, and then B, there are also policy implications. Um, so on his first day in office, he you know, axed the Keystone XL. He placed a moratorium on uh, new oil and gas leasing on federal lands. Um, so all that sends a signal to producers and to investors that, you know, maybe, maybe the time for fossil fuels is ending. Um, so he certainly has some blame. Again, most of it's on the global nature of things. And also with Russia, who is supplying about 10% of the, of the world's oil, uh, before we rightfully kind of embargoed that.
1: Yeah, Jeff Lewis uh, joining us from Young Voices. Let's take it from this angle, because you touched on it in your piece, National Review, which we have linked to in the show notes. Everybody should read it in its entirety. The production part of this is what nobody really talks about. We all see the end game when it shows up at the pump and the gas prices. And every now and then, of course, they'll talk about crude oil prices. It's the middle of that that's really affecting all this. And part of it, and you touched on it in your piece, is refining capability. We haven't built a lot of refineries. Um, we have trouble upgrading them. That comes from our climate policies. That comes from our environmental concerns. Those are valid concerns, but this is also the trade-off when you don't build new refineries, when you don't update your refineries, when you don't update that infrastructure, regardless of what's going on globally, you're going to have a supply problem and a production problem. And then when you have a global crisis, it goes from bad to catastrophic. Isn't that the piece of this that people are really missing?
2: 100%. Um- And crude prices make up the majority of gas prices, but refinery capacity is also really important. So in 2021, our refinery uh, capability globally, it declined for the first time in 30 years. Um, As of April, it's still well below pre-pandemic levels. Um, And another thing that has to do with that is the different types of crude. So you have heavy and light crude, both are used for gas production, um, but both require require different refinery uh, capabilities. So a majority of the uh, crude that's produced in the U.S. is actually light, um, which means there's less refining that's needed. But with that, it's sold at a higher rate to refineries. Um, So a majority of the refineries in the U.S. actually refine the heavier crude that's imported usually from Canada. Um, So like you said, if we're not investing in new refineries, and the refineries that we have don't always, um, aren't always tailored to the Crude that's produced here, it's going to send a ripple effect, and it's going to, you know, lag with demand.
1: Yeah, and it's not just us. You touched on it in a piece, uh, 2021, which would be the last year we have statistics, obviously, because we're still in the current year. Uh, so those will be numbers for 2020. Global refinery capacity shrunk by 730,000 barrels. That's a that's a number that doesn't mean anything to a lot of people, but this number should. That's the first decline in 30 years. It's not just America. Globally, refinery capability has gone down that puts pressure on the final product. And the gas price thing is not just an American problem, to be fair to the president, again, here for a minute. We've had our Australian friends on, they're having a massive gas problem. Uh, Obviously, Europe is having a natural gas problem because they get that from a, this is really a global issue when it comes to refining capability. And what we're seeing is this is just the bumping up of the modern order of where People want that cheap energy, but they want climate stuff. But then when the cheap energy doesn't go and they go, well, wait a minute, why is this happening? Why do we have that cognizant disconnect between those two things of like, look, this is the effect of 20, 30 years of policy. You asked for this, not to put too point <laughs> on it. This is what you wanted to do. Now we're here. Now people are like, well, wait a minute. We didn't really mean it. Is that a fair way of putting some of this policy stuff?
2: I would say so. Um, I mean, you have Europe, like you said, they have the natural gas shortages, Um, And especially with Germany, you saw them transition completely away from all fossil fuels and subsequently nuclear energy uh, around 2011 after Fukushima. Um, So then they, you know, transition more towards renewables, but that means they have to import baseload power from Russia. Uh, So it is it is kind of a catch 22. You know, you want you want emissions reductions, which is a very noble goal. But you also need to think of consumers. You need to think of energy reliability. So I think this whole global problem is really showing that, you know, in order for any really durable climate solutions to take place, you have to take into account uh, affordability and reliability. So uh, I think that's where American fossil fuels can actually play a really big role. They can, um, they can play a significant role in reducing global emissions uh, by displacing dirtier uh, fuel sources. So American natural gas, liquefied natural gas, uh, it's far cleaner burning than Russian, Natural gas, it's cleaner than Chinese coal. Uh, the same goes for our petroleum and our, our oil. It's cleaner than Venezuelan or uh, OPEX. So it's it's really, you're going to need a holistic approach um, with the climate and the energy policies. And I think you know the Biden administration would do well to recognize that American fossil fuels have a really, really important role to play with that.
1: Yeah, my background is actually in transportation, and we've been using propane forklifts for 20, 30 years in warehousing and, and dock situations for that very reason, because you can't breathe in there running gasoline. I've had to do it. Uh, Staying behind diesel fumes is not fun, uh, but that's a great example. And Amazon bought something like a thousand natural gas, heavy trucks, tractor trailer type trucks. Uh, so it's not, you know, my opinion, we need to be all of the above on things, not just electric, but natural gas and other things. They're looking into hydrogen. We'll talk about that more. Jeff Lou's still joining us. Um, real quick on this before we pivot a little bit though, um, talk about the signal sending when they change oil prices, like an OPEC that's signal sending when we change refinery capability or decrease. That's signal sending when we change environmental policy, that's signal sending when we change presidents in America, because if we go from a Republican president to a democratic president, that's a signal sending to the markets. Talk about how, although these things are, very volatile. There is some predictable rhythms to these based on the signals. Summer driving season, prices are going to go up. Winter time coming in Europe in the Western Hemisphere, uh, prices for fuel oil will go up. Talk about those signals and the rhythms of it that you can kind of predict some of this stuff. And there is kind of a circadian rhythm to it all, isn't there?
2: Yeah. And that's like you said, especially with summer. Um, so that's when most drivers hit the road for well-deserved vacations that they've been saving up for. Um and same with the winter. Uh obviously you're going to need more natural gas to heat homes, which unfortunately there's some dire predictions for Europe uh this winter, especially with them being cut off from Russian supplies and them trying to rush uh American LNG to the market. Um, but yeah, like you said, like policymakers and economists, they can kind of predict that there's going to be higher demand, especially right around now. Um, so there's you know a few things that they can do to Bring more supply to the market, especially on the policymaker side. Uh, one thing would be, you know, suspending uh, summer blending requirements. So the way gas is blended, it's different winter to summer um, due to the heat. So summer oil or summer gas is uh, less susceptible to evaporation, but that takes more to refine. It, it takes a longer process. So just suspending simple things like that could, you know, it's not going to reduce prices. Incredibly, but it's still going to do a little bit to, to reduce the pain at that pump.
1: Yeah, Jeff Luce joining us. We're going to talk about some of those uh, ways to reduce and or increase the pain in the pump, depending on your policy. We're also going to work through some of the cliches he touched on in his piece, uh, things like changing the blends, uh, just drill, things like this. We're going to get into that right after the break. Jeff Luce from Young Voices uh, from the D.C. area joining us on Her Tell. More with him right after Jeff Lewis joining us. Uh, Climate energy. He talks about these things. He's a Young Voices contributor. Sharp guy. Make sure you're following him in social media is right there on the lower third graphic if you're watching on YouTube or the Facebook Live feed for our Big Talker Radio partner. Uh, Let's work through some cliches here because we like to turn down the noise here. There's a lot of buzzwords when it comes to fuel and energies. So let's work through some of the buzzwords and cliches and slogans and see if we can't get to some truth. You touched on one of them in your piece. Um, well, we'll just change the blend and that'll change the price on the pump. Turn the noise down on that one because people reacted pretty strongly when they started tinkering around with the fuel and ethanol blends and things like that. What's fact and what's fiction there?
2: Yeah, so especially with the ethanol blends, obviously that's a pretty big boon economically in the Midwest, um, but it's mostly subsidized. Uh, and there's been studies that have found that um, the ethanol blending really doesn't provide marginal environmental benefits, um, especially for the economic, uh, the economics of it. So as with any, you know, energy or climate policy, really any, any policy you have to, you know, assess a proper, uh, benefit cost benefit ratio. Um, so really reducing or even eliminating the ethanol mandate. Um, it's not going to do much to increase emissions, especially outside of the Midwest. Um, and it, it, it is going to help a little bit with the prices, um, And same with the summer blending requirements, although it's not ideal to suspend those uh, whenever you have situations like this where people are paying, you know, in May, they paid 100 extra dollars a month on gas than they did the previous May. So this is really impacting consumers. So, um, you know, simple reforms like that, although maybe it's not ideal, uh, they can definitely do a lot to reduce prices.
1: All right. Another one you touched on in your piece uh, roundaboutly, uh, but I want to bring it up uh I was critical of the decision too but people are resurrecting it in lieu of the gas prices uh the day one keystone pipeline uh decision by president biden not exactly a straight line between those two things but people are using it that way uh break that one down what actually did it affect what did it not affect when it comes to things like energy and fuel prices
2: yeah that's i mean that's a good point it's it's again one of those things it's easy to just point the finger at president biden um I mean, ideally, he would have approved it that would have sent a signal, especially to producers um, that, you know, American fossil fuels or it's not even American. I mean, it would have been imported from Canada, but fossil fuels in general have a a role to play in our economy and in our energy mix. Uh, Him suspending it. I mean, it was more of a rhetorical political signal. Um, They would likely still be building it. Um, They would still have to, you know, finish the construction and the processing. Um, what it does do though, um, we're still going to be importing oil from Canada. It didn't stop that. It did add fuel and transportation expenses because pipelines are the most efficient way that we can transport fuel to and forward. Um, but now it's going to be transported on truckers and trains, which obviously it takes longer to get to market, to get to refineries. Um, so him revoking the permit for that, although maybe it's not a straight line shot, it At the very least, it sent signals that, you know, we're not going to be too favorable towards fossil fuels, especially in the near future. And it also just delays supply coming to the market.
1: Yeah. Tanner, talked to Jeff Luce. All right. We kind of touched on this one when we talked about refining capability, but let's deal with the buzzword. Uh, A lot of folks on the right say, well, we just need to drill more uh talk about that we're not against that of course you always you know more production a long term that's a long term solution that even if you did that today that really wouldn't affect fuel prices break down the the myth and the magic of just drill baby as we used to say back in an, a previous administration uh how that doesn't does not affect prices at the pump
2: right yeah uh, it's again it's a very easy buzzword to you know say drill baby drill or to invoke energy independence but the reality is Oil, energy in general, it's very global in nature. So you increase production in America, that's great. I mean, that's awesome, obviously, economically. And, you know, like I touched on, it's also beneficial environmentally. It's produced with far fewer emissions. But uh, we would still have to rely on our partners such as Canada to import fuel. Um, we'd still be slightly beholden to OPEC, who obviously has a large share of the supply. Um, and also, as I said, it's a lot of the crude that's produced in America, although it varies, but most of it is light crude. Um, whereas a lot of the refineries that we have, are, they are tailored to uh, refine heavier crude, especially from Canada, um, just because it's cheaper to buy. Um, so it's more in their economic best interest to do so.
1: Right. Now, that was a buzzword that the right has loved for a uh, no better part of a decade now. Uh, let's talk about our progressive friends. They'll sometimes get on social media and they have the great little slogan of, well, we'll just get rid of fossil fuels. That'll solve the problem. Um, I I know that's very, very unicornish on its face, but policy wise, uh, they try to enact policy that way that has ripple effects. Just break that one down. Uh, Well, if we just go, you know, emissions neutral or get off fossil fuels, that's going to solve the problem. No, that kind of creates a couple of new problems, doesn't it? (laughs) Especially since the technology gap between those two things isn't quite as good as we maybe hope it would be.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're seeing that in Germany, although it's not with gasoline, it's with natural gas. Um, They said they were going to completely wean themselves, themselves off of uh, domestically produced natural gas. They shut down their nuclear plants. Um, Then they were, you know, beholden to Putin and that kind of funded his war machine, uh, and now they're even firing up coal plants. So it's, it's all kind of backwards. So the, the push to eliminate fossil fuels, it's very unrealistic, especially when you consider, um, A, the global nature of climate change. I mean, America produces like 12% of emissions a year um, globally. So you know, if you shut down all fossil fuels here, it's gonna have a negligible effect on emissions globally um, while having a pretty big consequence for consumers uh, through higher energy prices. And it's also not going to thwart any future emissions in developing countries, which is, you know, where a lot of future emissions are going to come from, especially from India and China.
1: All right. Here's another one. I've been seeing a lot more on social media. Well, why don't we just put uh, price controls on the p- fuel at the pump now a quick li- history lesson for folks, Jimmy Carter took the hit for it, but the economy that he mishandled, that ball got kicked off by Richard Nixon starting off with price controls. So you need to go read the history up on how those work. But just on its face of it, uh, the presidential magic wand of just dictating gas prices. Uh, break down the mythology of that one for us.
2: Right. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. It's easy to say politically. It's good to get some grounding points with your base. But again, not realistic. Um, price controls aren't going to work, especially if you're imposing them on American production. It's just going to hurt the situation even more. Um, like I said, it's all global supply and demand. So if you're putting a price control here, it's not really going to impact drilling overseas. <laughs> so And it's also just the wrong approach. We shouldn't be trying to kneecap producers and kneecap our economy. We should be going the opposite way. We should be trying to embrace more free market economics to you know, unleash innovation. Um, and that's through reducing regulations, uh, not imposing more.
1: Yeah, Jeff Luce joining us. Okay, that was all the political and the rhetorical thing. Give us a couple practical things. We've, we've talked broad spectrum about, you know, regulatory side, we understand legislatively probably not a lot going to get done because it's a midterm election year and the House is probably going to split and we'll have split government for the next two years. What practically can be done here? Is it regulatory form? Is it some kind of a bipartisan legislative bill coming up that the Republicans can shove through once they have a majority? What do you think practically in the near term could be something that could get some relief to folks, not a unicorn, not a we're just going to magically get prices down, but would also be a good long term policy as well?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And it's kind of like, uh, kind of like herding cats, you know, you you don't quite know, (laughs) um, especially with the bipartisan solutions. I mean, you're kind of seeing it increasingly on the left where it's, they're really uh, doubling down on their anti-fossil approach, which is very unfortunate, um, and like I said, there's maybe not a ton of things that can be done in the short term. Um, maybe once we see a house flip, we can start seeing some more legislative proposals. Uh, one being with regulations. Um, you know, a really great first step, I think, would be repealing or at least reforming NEPA and modernizing it. So that's the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, so, whenever a large infrastructure project, even if it's not just energy, it could be roads, transmission lines. Um, You know, whenever that's proposed, it has to go through a NEPA process to see if it will have any, you know, undue consequences on the environment, which is very noble. We should be looking to, you know, leave as minimal of an impact as we can. Uh, The problem is it gets tied up in litigation and bureaucracy. So it delays projects by like an average of five years, uh, increases, you know, costs for investors, which in turn kind of disincentivizes investment into new projects. Uh, Another thing I think would be uh, eliminating steel tariffs. So just like with any industry, uh, refineries are getting hit hard by tariffs, um, which are pretty protectionist policies that haven't really benefited American producers super well. It's really just hurt consumers more than anything. So eliminating tariffs and opening up free trade would, you know, at least lower capital costs for refineries. Um, And then just another thing, too, which maybe it won't be bipartisan, maybe it can be Republican led if they get the majority in November. Um, But that's just approving, you know, key infrastructure projects like pipelines, you know, Keystone XL is a good one. Um, You know, just sending that signal to American producers that we want your energy. We need your energy um, and we can work together to, to help consumers.
1: Yeah, but never say never, because if, if you had asked either one of us in April if gun legislation was going to pass this year, we would have thought you were crazy. And yet here we are. Public pain has an interesting way of getting stuff through Congress in a big old hurry. And there's a lot of pain on this front. So you never know. So just like to be hopeful. We have to be we have to be, very, we, we have to be yes. really <laughs> critical in what we do. So let's just throw that little lifeline of hope out there. Jeff Lewis joining us. OK, kind of put a bow on all this energy stuff. I don't think this crisis is going away. I know folks think the gas prices are probably pretty close to topped out or close to it. They don't think it's going to get a whole lot worse, but it also doesn't look like it's going to get a whole lot better anytime soon. Is that a fair way to kind of address the big picture, at least for the next month or two through the summer?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, starting to see reports that demand starting to kind of come down a little bit. Um, and that's mostly with fears of a recession. So investors are kind of hedging their bets in that sense. Um OPEC is set to start drilling a bit more in August, although it's not a ton. Um, and that's kind of where the president's been, asked, been kind of asking them to, to drill a bit more. So even if it's not as much as we would want, at least a little bit is going to help. Um, but yeah, in the long term, it seems like high gas prices will probably be here for a while. Um, and again, that's it's a mix of a lot of things. It's global economics, it's the invasion of Ukraine from Russia. It's some policies and some price signals, but it it looks like, you know, gas prices might be here to stay and uh, consumers might have to get used to it for a little bit, at least.
1: Yeah. Jeff Lewis joining us. One last question on this. Um, Where does this fit into the greater political spectrum? We know the economy is going to be the number one issue in this midterm election. It's just going to be regardless. I know there's a lot of stuff about, you know, guns and violence and, of course, the abortion thing. It's going to be the economy how much of the economy discussion do you think it's going to be gas prices in your research as you talk to people, as you do your media? Um, mm-hmm. I'm finding it to be really, really high because that's the one. Look, I've you know, i got a Honda Civic. I'm paying double what it cost me last year to put gas in it when I, when I got that vehicle, right at double, went from about 25 to about 50. This is something that hits just about every American. And I don't think there's any rhetoric to get around it. Is that the vibe you're getting as well as you research this topic?
2: One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, polling is showing that that's the number one issue for uh, voters. It's inflation and the economy and gas prices. Um, you know, we, we saw some big wins with, you know, for gun control advocates. Uh, and that might kind of help some Democrats uh, and some incumbents. But, yeah, it seems as if voters are definitely feeling the pain at the pump and feeling the pain in their checkbook. Uh, so they're going to they're going to be looking for solutions that kind of curb inflation that can, you know, get us out of this economic downturn.
1: Jeff Luce, uh, great stuff today. Good job breaking down, getting through the noise of this because this topic's really noisy because it's easy to blame people when you're hurting at the pocketbook level. Until uh, we bring you back on the show next time, let folks know where they can follow you, what you have going on, your social media and all that good stuff, my friend.
2: Yeah. So, um, you can follow C3 solutions who I work for. Um, you can follow us at C3 solutions news on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, and we also have an online news magazine called C3 that's at C3 newsmagcom Um, and on there, we publish op-eds reported pieces on what entrepreneurs in the private sector are doing to, you know, accelerate innovation, but also address these, you know, high, high topic issues like gas prices.
1: Yep. Uh, Jeff Luce, another one of our great Young Voices contributor, important topic. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it more in the future. Great talking to you, my friend. We'll talk again soon.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you, sir.